Welcome to Encountering Empowerment. I'm your host, Empowerment Coach Victoria Jocko, here to teach you how to reclaim your personal power so that you can feel like the bad bitch you are, using my proven formula. Personal agency is your birthright, and no matter where life has taken you, it's not too late to tap into it, and I'm here to help you do it. Hello, my lovelies. Today, I'm sitting down with my friend Katie Derhausa from Crossout Toxicity on Instagram. She has a certifi- certificate <laughs> in sex and intimacy counseling and is going back to school for social work in order to commit to counseling. Um, her platform, Crossout Toxicity, is all about normalizing sex and breaking toxic patterns in terms of relationships with self and other And today we're just going to be talking a lot about that, about codependency, toxic relationship patterns. Um, We do get a little bit heavy, just as a disclaimer. Um, But yeah, I hope you all enjoy. Hello, Katie. How are you today? I'm doing really good. (laughs) How's it going? (laughs) I am doing pretty well, actually. This is the first time um, I've had an interview in the morning, which is nice. I actually have sunlight here. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. I, actually, honestly, I just woke up pretty recently. I'm, I'm ready, though. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> right on. All right. Why don't you um, tell us a little bit about you, what you do, and what got you into your line of work? Yeah. Um, Long story short, what got me in my line of work was a lot of toxic relationships. <laughs> so I decided that was my field of experience and perspective. And I really like, like counseling and all those things. And I'm a big empath. So I sort of combine all these things and then like, heal myself on the way. <laughs> um, Crossout Toxicity is my brand right now. It's my Instagram page. And I also have a hotline that people can phone in by donation. Just like it's their mini coaching sessions and I want to stress they are not counseling like we do not dive into past traumas on that line just because it's only like a 20 to 30 minute call and you know I just I I, I want to go back to school for more counseling um, education I'm just not ready to do counseling with clients yet so this is just mini coaching for like direct questions happening with you right now and it's free for people 18 and younger for just sexual education and sexual wellness and being and sexuality even. So that's cross out toxicity and it's yeah just about normalizing sex and all those good things and talking about healthy communication and talking about different types of relationships and yeah and i guess my name is katie terhausoff and i'm i live in the kootenays in bc and yeah that's pretty much it for me i guess yeah i just like i said i've been in a lot of weird relationships and um yeah, and I, I I have some counseling education behind me. I'm I'm about to go back to school for my social work undergrad, finish that, and do my master's, and then hopefully cross the toxicity becomes a like a counseling agency. It's my long term plan. Cool, that's amazing. So, do you like what do you do now as like your main income source, or is that it? Yeah. No, so obviously the hotline, but it's more just like, it's not expensive. So it's not really my, not really a great income in that way. Do like doing it though, please do that. (laughs) But um, I work at, it's called Trail Fair. So Trail is a city in the Kootenays and I just work at Trail Fair and mental health and case management and crisis intervention. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So it's like 
on the same line of what you're wanting to do and what you're doing yeah. in your personal I mean, life. Mine, mine is the sex and relationship yeah. part. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> cool. I do feel saying that I do do like crisis management or crisis intervention and case management. We do deal with domestic violence mostly for women and like in women's shelters mm -hmm. and things. So, in like, so yeah, we deal with that in, in, in terms of relationship things, but not like, not like talking about sex and safe sex and all those things. <laughs> yeah. That, so I have like other questions, but what is coming up for me right now is like, how do you manage um, your own emotions with that line of work because I would imagine it's like pretty yeah. intense you know well <laughs> you I we rescheduled this because yesterday I did have a, a tough client that mm -hmm. it was actually the first client that's ever triggered me and like got such a reaction I didn't react mm -hmm. with them yeah how I how we do that <laughs> but I I did have I have a reaction just because um yeah I, I won't go into it but but what we do is um we just have a really great team so like it, it's in those vulnerable sectors of work like we we really make sure who we hire is supportive and empathetic and like nice to talk to and approachable so like my boss is the best <laughs> like I love my boss it's one of those bosses where I usually work alone in the office but if she's in like I'm pumped that she's in <laughs> so and she's just like we debrief so we debrief a calls like or um conversations a lot like we debrief with our, our my boss just to like get things out and make sure we're doing things good and um I don't yeah and then like in terms of like taking care of myself like I just we have really I mean, we have different training and protocol that creates really professional boundaries within my stuff and the and the client stuff so I don't know it's it's, it's not like it's not me in the room with someone when I'm in a professional setting it's very I, it's their space. Like I'm not, I don't share any of my, my stuff and it's very separated in that way. And I think that helps me a lot with just not bringing my stuff in, not getting triggered by it stuff. And, and yes, I do get triggered and you just have to compartmentalize and go talk to go talk to someone afterwards. And that's, mm -hmm. that's fine. And so, yeah, long story short, I think it's just talking and debriefing and being honest about maybe you did make a mistake and being honest with those things and what you could do next time. And yeah, just all that communication. <laughs> mm. I love that you mentioned like being honest with yourself of if you mm -hmm. did do something, you know, wrong or whatever, just because like you're a human before you're a professional, right? I think that's really important to acknowledge. And I love that. I mean, I would figure that you would have a support system within that line of mm -hmm. work, but I love that it's, um, uh, the, the people it sounds like you really like and you feel trust with and all that stuff. So that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So can you define what a toxic relationship pattern is like to you or just in general? Um, yeah, I was thinking I'll just talk from my own perspective because everyone. Perfect. Okay. Um, so for me, uh it's i know you've posted about it too and honestly it's something i'm actually my, my background is first nation cree so we have we have the intergenerational mm -hmm. trauma and those that background too and my mushroom mm -hmm. my grandpa he always he always says what you posted actually he's like you do what you know and so that like you do what you know is is my definition of toxic patterns because if you're taught mm -hmm. one thing 
or if you're really familiar with one thing, and maybe that one thing that you're familiar with is toxic, but it's something you're comfortable with because you know it. So you keep, you keep doing what you know because that's what you're comfortable with. And it's really interesting to break that pattern because sometimes good things and happiness is unknown. So it's very uncomfortable. So it's really hard to break patterns, even if it's healthy and you know it's healthy, but it doesn't feel good because it's unfamiliar. <laughs> so I guess yes. that's... Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God, that like gave me chills. That was so good. It's so, so on point. <laughs> well, you posted about it too, right? So like, yeah. Yeah. I know you <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we're all conditioned with um, certain things that we didn't ever question and that our parents didn't question. And, you know, it, whether or not it's, um, you know, you mentioned like you're indigenous, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, whether or not it's indigenous or um, some other type of culture, I think we all kind of grow up under this like patriarchal system and all of that kind of like seeps into the different cultures. And so, yeah, unless we question it and we are aware of like what it is and what's going on. Yeah. We're just going to keep repeating it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. it's not easy to break because, yeah, it is that comfortability level. And and some, and like I like what you said about the awareness. Like sometimes you don't even realize what's happening. And yeah. and I don't want to. I don't really want to touch on on everybody else's perspective because it all could be different. The way people react in those moments of you know maladaptive behavior and not understanding. Like what a small example I have in my mind is when someone is stuck in a toxic pattern. And they just think that the world hates them and everybody's after them. And it's like, there has to, there, I, like your trauma doesn't define you, but also it's not your fault that these things happened, but also there needs to be a self-awareness piece because you have a piece in it and you can decide how you want to react. Right. And it's like, it is kind of tough love and it's hard to say that to people that are vulnerable and don't see it yet, but you know, there's always a choice. So you got to, you got to learn. From <laughs> yes. Oh my God. There's always a choice. And it is, it is so tough sometimes to say that to people when they're hurting and there is like a time and place to say it in a way you can say it like, um, that is mo more supportive to them. But at the end of the day, you do need to say it because that was something that I didn't like realize. I didn't think I had a choice in fucking anything. <laughs> I felt that way too. I thought I mostly felt that way when I was a teenager. Like I was so angry and like just I I I wanted everyone else to be angry with me kind of thing. Like I would project miserable mis my miserable qualities on everyone. And it I honestly I did have a breaking point because my best friend, I remember her like she whipped around at me. <laughs> And she like screamed at me. She's like, just because you're miserable doesn't mean everyone else needs to be miserable. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> reality check. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. That was your reality check. That's so yeah. funny. <laughs> oh my God. I can, I can be such a thing sometimes. So I need those grounding moments. <laughs> I have uh -huh. good <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally relate on being an angry teenager though. Like I was furious I don't know necessarily if I wanted people to be upset with me I just more so wanted them to leave me alone <laughs> like I just that was like a big thing like when I was upset everyone would just like try to fix it and try to help me and I'm like just let me fucking be upset like I have yeah. reasons to be upset and I think that's why I'm such um 
an advocate for feeling your feelings now and not moving through them, like not trying to force them to be different and just accepting them because like I needed that so bad when I was a kid. Yeah, I hear you. Validation goes such a long way. And yeah. I think those spaces where you just want to be listened, right? You don't want to problem solve. And maybe you do want to problem solve, but like not yet. <laughs> yes, totally. And I think, yeah, I think it doesn't have to be either or. I think you will yeah. like almost naturally reach a point of like, okay, I'm ready to do something about this. I just needed to feel my feelings for a minute. And now I'm ready to move on. I think that's just because nothing is constant. You're not just going to stay pissed off forever. Like eventually you're going to want to do something. If you're, I guess, like self-aware and if you actually want to, I I suppose there are people that just want to be angry. I think uh, I actually just like there's um there's like a model for anxiety like working through anxiety when people, when like my clients are escalated and it, it's it's just that like you have to acknowledge a feeling because it just takes too much energy it takes even more energy to suppress it so you might as well just put that energy into feeling it and it, it benefits you later <laughs> mm-hmm. so you acknowledge it then you then you figure out the trigger like why did that get set off like why are you feeling that way and then yeah then you choose how you want to react how you want to navigate and if it if that feeling really has weight how to make, let me say that again. Like you don't want to let feelings like big feelings make decisions for you. So you want to really pinpoint them and feel them in order for them not to speak for themselves. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think that is kind of, so for me, I grew up in the mental health care system. I was in psych wards a lot throughout my teens. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a big flaw within mental health is that the message that I received was there's nothing you can do about your feelings. There's nothing you can do about your Mm -hmm. mental health. You just kind of have to suffer with them and like learn Mm -hmm. to cope. And (laughs) (laughs) tell me about it. I know (laughs) it's real fucked up. Um, But I think that is a message that a lot of people within the mental health care system receive is that like, they just kind of, if they have an anxiety disorder or depression or any type of like mood um, disorder, uh, like in that yeah. realm, um, that they're just they're just stuck with it forever, and there's nothing they can do, and they don't have a choice in how they respond to themselves. They don't have a choice in whether or not their mental health can get better. Like that was the biggest thing, and I rejected it completely. Like immediately, I was like, "You guys are fucking wackos." Like I'm, I this is not what's happening to me. Um, but and that added to my frustration because like everyone around me was like, "You're just you're," I was. Uh, diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was 12, which is wrong in and of itself because you can't diagnose with a 12 year old with bipolar yeah. disorder. Um, right. But everyone around me was like, no, you're just bipolar. Like, there's nothing you can do. And I was like, fuck you guys. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so awful. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Honestly, like, good for you. Like, that probably, like, it was really frustrating and hard, but it probably integrated, like, a really strong sense of self. Like, you're advocating for for yourself. So that's, not many people would do that, I think. And that's, like, wow, pat pat on your back. Like, but (laughs) shitty doesn't have to do that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. But I see, like, clients when they come to me, when they have mental health diagnoses, kind of, like, attaching themselves, or even not, not even just mental health diagnosis, but, like, um, attachment styles, um, 
mental health stuff, uh, personality test, like all of that stuff, they just kind of attach themselves to. And they're like, this is why I am this way. And it can't be changed. It's a fixed thing. And I'm like, no, you can, you can choose. Like if you don't like something, you can totally yeah. choose to react a different way to reprogram and your maybe brain. Because you have a diagnosis, but like yeah. maybe things are, and maybe you, your feelings are more intense and heightened and escalate all these things. I'm not saying it's easier for them, no. but I, I hate that. I hate that dialect and I hear it all the time about lots of stuff. Like I hear it about trauma. It's like, I can be a bitch because this happened to me, or I can be this way because I have this mental disorder or like, like all these, like all these different things. And it's like, again, like you, you always, you do have a choice and <laughs> you can, yes. you can learn, you can learn the tools to help you if you choose to. <laughs> yes. And I think that that kind of, um, way of discussing it is more accepted when it's not like abusive. Cause like mm-hmm. when we think about like, you know, what a lot of people would consider like a narcissist or just, just an abuser of any kind. They're like, Mm -hmm. oh no, there's no reason. Like, it doesn't matter if you've had trauma, you have to work on that. But when it comes to like people pleasing or like anxiety or like anxious attachment or anything like that, where it's more, I don't want to say like cute and quirky because it's not, but like, that's how we treat it. You know, it's like, no, you're right. Yeah. I remember, what did I, I think I posted about something similar. It was like the romanticizing of toxic relationships and toxic traits. Like, it's like, I remember I, going back to high school, because that's just when my depression and anxiety were, were the most heightened. So I always just think back of that. But um, I remember like scrolling on Instagram and, and this is like grade 12, like the, and I'm 24 now. So like, this isn't that long ago, right? Like things have changed, but it's not that long ago. So grade 12, I remember like so depressed and like all of my friends were saying they were depressed too. Like it was just like a thing that like everybody wanted to be or something, which made me, and some of them were like, don't get me wrong, but like what, but whatever. And, and, and it made me though, not want to explain my depression. Cause I was like, this is a trend. I don't even want to tell people I don't want to get help because I feel like I'm lying. <laughs> like it was just such a weird feeling in my, inside me. And then I remember scrolling Instagram and it was just like all these like really weak, like, or like Tumblr was the worst. I didn't have Tumblr, but I saw some things and it was just like, these weird like sad quotes about having depression or like suicidal thoughts even. And like really like romanticizing them like they were getting like a hundred thousand shares like it was it was so weird and for someone that was struggling at that time I was like I really felt belittled and I didn't feel safe asking for help because I thought people were going to tell me I was lying and yeah it was it was very weird (laughs) that that is such um an interesting reaction and I I love that you had that reaction and that you didn't go like deeper into it because I was very depressed and I 100% was romanticizing it. I grew up on Tumblr and part of it, I was romanticizing eating disorders and that was a big thing on Tumblr. Um, But like, I remember, oh my God. So (laughs) we're like laughing, like, look at this, look at this trauma. it's like it's funny it's fucked up but like funny to be looking back but I remember when I got really obsessed with Ed Sheeran um this was before like he was on the radio and stuff and I remember he has this music video called the A-Team 
And in the music video, it's about this woman who I think she's like on crystal meth. She has like a very severe addiction. She's um, a prostitute. She's like broke. She's living in a motel. Yeah. And I would, it is, it's beautiful, but I would like watch the music video on repeat and like romanticize the absolute fuck out of her life like the mental illness the addiction she was like very very thin because she was addicted to crystal meth right so I was like romanticizing that and looking back I'm like that is so fucked up yeah like but that's what we all did yeah it's crazy the power that media has and like you know what it's it's such like a weird line of like, we want to have awareness of what mental health is. Cause it has like, even what you were talking about, like what they told you in like the ward and like in mental health professionals, like they're like, just, you're always going to be like this, like, forget it. Like there's like, just do it, whatever. And like, now it's getting better, but now it's like media is so tender in the way that like romanticize, like romanticizing things is a big thing. Or even like, um, I say this lightly because I, I don't know everyone's perspective, <laughs> but like even like different like counseling Instagram platforms, it's like, I hate, I hate the videos that are like, if you feel this, 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 you are blank. And I'm like, okay, like you can't get a diagnosis yeah. from an education video. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and maybe yeah. that makes you feel seen, but also it's just, if someone's already struggling with a mental illness and then like, that's like not their diagnosis, but they have those symptoms, I think that could be very confusing. And that just adds to their, I don't know, like, and then including with the romanticization, like I just, I, I could be very dangerous, I think. And I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can understand that for sure. I think I also have seen a lot of stuff, um, about like ADHD and autism and that has in a so I have been questioning whether or not I am autistic because mm-hmm. of things that I've seen from both professionals and non-professionals on TikTok mm-hmm. and it has been really validating for me to see like all of these symptoms being like oh shit like there might actually be like a word for everything that I've experienced throughout my life and I can also see how like for other for for that as well as things like borderline personality disorder and like DID and things that are like that are also like really big deals i see yeah. them um it's almost like everything is a symptom and i think mm-hmm. that becomes super dangerous as well so yeah. i can see the validity of both of like we don't want to be romanticizing this and like taking every single symptom and just being like hey this is what you have and i think mm-hmm. also self diagnosis and like hearing other people's perspectives can be really validating for some people who maybe yeah. not mm-hmm. have like access to a mental health care professional that can diagnose them or specifically with autism um all of the research is done for um like cis white men pretty much and it's like the very um like severe end of the autistic spectrum where like they're like quote-unquote dysfunctional which like you can't really see dysfunction but like when we think of autism we think of like very severe right like we might see um like the physical characteristics right like i think with down syndrome or something like that um but that's not all of what autism is and that's all where like the research has been gone to um there's like pretty much none for women <laughs> and so a lot of women um that i've seen like on tiktok and other social media platforms 
when they're talking about this, they've gone in to um, get diagnosed or to talk to someone and they're just completely shut down because they don't represent um, what their research has been geared towards. So I see both sides of it. And I think mental health is just, it's so nuanced and tricky and the self-help world especially has been just like dominated by like pathologizing ourselves, Mm -hmm. which I think is a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, thanks. I, yeah, I said that, I said it loosely because I, because media is a wonderful community. Like I, I have my page too. And I like, it's great when like you get in that validation piece that we talked about before is so solid and like means so much. Like I love, I do love media and I love seeing mental health on media. And I just think there's this weird, it's just, it's just tricky sometimes. (laughs) I think there's a weird line and I am thinking more about the self-diagnosis things, like what you're talking about for autism. I think that's really special. So yeah, I have a a lot to think about on this. I I think about it often, (laughs) but it's, it's just a very interesting world with growing awareness of mental health and using media, I think. I think it's just, it gets very tricky in terms of, yeah, and I don't know. I, I need to think about this more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and I appreciate your perspective and I totally, again, totally understand it because I think we have kind of pathologized ourselves. I think everything has become a symptom and yeah. um, it's very easy to attach ourselves to these things and at the end yeah. of the day, like, I also don't see, like, the hurt necessarily in self-diagnosing or, like, thinking that you have, like, an anxiety disorder or something like that. Like, if it, if the symptoms resonate, like, if you see yourself in them, like, who fucking cares? <laughs> I think for me, because, like, my reaction was so different. So, like, like, being a young person, too, I think, you know, like, young, especially young girls, we go through so many hormones, like, hormonal mm-hmm. things. And just kind of escalated through that time and especially if you you have a mental like thing going on too oh yeah and like for I was just so opposite like I really like it's funny that I have a social media account because I really am not a social media person and and I just I I get really maybe this is prestigious of me like I don't or pretentious like I don't know (laughs) but like I, I I hate being part of the trend like I fucking hate it like it makes me feel very like like a number or something and which is like that's I think that's wrong like to a point for me like that's just my own stuff and I need to like loosen up with that and I have but when I was younger I just like did not want to be like those people at all and so like a serious thing like depression I wasn't getting help because I didn't want to be like them so it was just it's just so Mm. interesting like the different reactions I guess so but it also, but that's also kind of, I feel like that for me saying that, I think that is my own, I know my own trauma response as well. So like, I don't know all the, the layers to this and all the different perspectives. And I think it's really interesting what you said about the validation of the self-diagnosis and learning new things because, you know, medical professionals, mental health professionals kind of slack sometimes. So, so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I really need to think more <laughs> on this. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> No, I totally understand that when I was a kid, I did not want to be associated with being mentally ill or any, any type of mental health diagnosis did not want that. Um, and now I don't know, I've kind of just, I, I think I am more mentally stable than I was. And I think I've just gotten comfortable with, um, I don't know, just like my brain and the way my brain works and, destigmatizing mental illness because I grew up around it and like um around it and in it (laughs) right um and 
Yeah, I just, and probably being on TikTok as well, because I end up on that side where people are discussing their mental illnesses so often. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like I've just kind of like acclimated myself to it. But anyway, that was a tangent. <laughs> I just got so invested in it because I'm just, it's something I always think of when I just got curious. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. This is great. Um <laughs> Um, I love how we had like a 20 minute conversation just from that like one question that I asked you. Oh, it's so good. Um, okay. So what are the, um, kind of like top toxic patterns or like relationship patterns that you see with like people, if you want to talk about that? Um, yeah, like top patterns. I mean, codependency is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, codependency is like my, I just, that's the only, like, only one coming in my head, honestly, right now. Um, Can you like share what that looks like specifically? Uh, codependency, I'm, I'm going to give just like an example, I guess. Um, usually, usually what I see it look like, <laughs> and I've been in it too. But usually what I have been seeing it look like is it's very, it's very toxic. And what it means is usually both partners, this is what I've been seeing, it could look very different, but codependency foundation, it just kind of means like someone is very reliant on their partner or it could be both partners very reliant on each other. And, you know, they have, they have to have that person to get everything from them and they, their happiness, their mood, their like they're obviously the sex life, I guess, but like, I guess everything is surrounded by this one person and without them, their life wouldn't be like, it's, it's very dangerous. Um, what I've been seeing a lot because I work with domestic violence is, um, it's a lot of like the women are traumatized already because it's a toxic patterns. Mm-hmm. They are with someone who is usually narcissistic <laughs> or egotistical. And that person is also codependent on them because they are egotistical and they need that that validation, that praise fed, and this person is codependent on them, so they're giving it to them. <laughs> so that's that, that's their codependency language with that kind of relationship. Um, and then it usually, it's just, it gets very dangerous in, the, in that situation with the narcissist and the traumatized. And not, not saying the narcissist isn't traumatized too, but I'm more like the fawn response with the partner being traumatized and like vulnerable and then being with the narcissist because a narcissist will, will pick that person because they know they can control them and things get very dangerous because with the narcissist codependency it's very like you need to do everything my way and if you just say and look what I want you to look and like it's very controlling and things can become physical and and domestic violence doesn't mean just physical violence, but it, it mm-hmm. almost always will end up with physical, especially if you're trying to leave. The leaving is the hardest part. Um, and so, yeah, it's just codependency. Like it's, I, I think it's it, like for me to, sorry, I'm just kind of like spinning, but like for me, I think codependency was, I, ha- I really want to be loved. <laughs> so when like the right person at the right time gives me that, even in my situation, it was just complete love bombing. Like it wasn't healthy. But I, I loved it because I, I love attention and I love, I love validation, I guess, in the way I'm kind of egotistical a little bit in that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, um, 
I, so like, I just, I couldn't give it up after he gave it to me. Right. Like, even if I, even when I knew it was unhealthy, like I just, I couldn't give it up. And I like, I totally like rose colored glasses at all because he loved me. <laughs> and then he was egotistical. So he loved that. I loved him. Like, it was just very like crazy. And then like the first signs of like problems and me wanting to leave, like it was, it was really scary. Like he, it, like it literally like when a codependency breakup ends, it's, it combusts like it, like because these people aren't people anymore like they have to find themselves all over again and like start from bottom like it's very scary and overwhelming for us and yeah <laughs> that's kind of the long span but like codependency it, it scares me honestly <laughs> yeah no I I can relate <laughs> especially when you said that you really like validation I'm like yeah same <laughs> I love being loved <laughs> Um, hopefully not in a toxic way anymore. I don't think I do in a toxic way. I think I've gotten over a lot of that stuff, but, um, yeah, thank you for explaining that. I think that's really helpful because I think kind of like what we were talking about with, um, pathologizing mental health, I think codependency and like narcissists and like words, like gaslighting, like words like that have been overused and are kind of used in a way that's like really, um, detrimental to people like any type of reliance on your partner any type of like wanting connection is like oh you're just codependent like you just need to be completely independent and like I think that's not good (laughs) right so I really appreciate you um defining and like outlining what that really looks like um yeah in, in your line of work yeah 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 I mean it, it's it's just scary. It's hard. It's even hard to explain because again, like it, it, it does have a framework, and it, but it all just looks so different because people have different trauma and different experiences and different like why factors. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, like underlying like codependency is like I, I I always say like a couple means two or whatever number you're in, but like you're an individual in that number of your relationship, right? And that codependency just means you're not one anymore. You are combined into one into one person through your number of like whoever like I always say couple because that's just how I date but like however number you're dating right like you're just one like you're meshed into one and that's just not healthy (laughs) yeah yeah would you what kind of feelings would you kind of like associate with someone who's codependent like anxiety um what would you say um probably like, anxiety is probably a big one they're probably always a lot of anxious like anxiety of them leaving of, of pleasing them of not feeling good enough a lot of the time because like in like intimacy has a lot of forms so like I just just a little example if I have a lot of girlfriends like just friends that are girls and I, if I don't have girlfriend time I really act out on my partner because mm. it's like my intimacy levels are unbalanced like I need that girlfriend time like our cuddle puddles and stuff whatever we do and then if I don't get it I like I really like I react to what's in front of me which is my partner and I just project on him that I don't feel loved enough <laughs> so that's that balance so imagine if I don't even I need that balance. Everyone does. Imagine if I don't even have friends now, which usually happens in codependency. You push everyone else away. I don't have any other form to get things out and to get filled up. And now all of that pressure is on my partner. And even if that person wasn't a narcissist and he was like, or they were just like, what, like, whatever, 
they're going to become really resentful. <laughs> they're going to become confused. They're going to become anxious and angry and all these things because that's a lot of pressure and a lot of responsibility to fill someone else's cup completely. And codependency, even if you don't have a friend, like let's just another balance. It's like, you need to be self-aware enough to realize that, you know, like it starts with you. And even if you don't have other outlets, you need to take care of yourself in order to like take care of your relationship. Like you come first. So codependency is you don't, you're not, again, you're not an individual anymore. Like you need to get fed by this relationship and sustain it. And yeah, resentful, angry, anxious, um, even the probably even depressed, like really lonely, like all these big emotions, because it's just, it's not sustainable to be, you know, filled up every single day for the rest of your life by one person. Like that is, this doesn't even make sense to me. <laughs> yeah, totally. That was a big thing that got me into like polyamory. It's like realizing that one person can't meet all of my needs, but even like you talking about friendships, like I moved here at the beginning of COVID and I did not have like any friends and mm -hmm. I was experiencing that like loneliness and like almost like resentfulness of like I'm just trapped mm -hmm. in this fucking house with like my partner and I love my partner so much yeah. but like <laughs> I just want a friend you know because like I don't want him to be my entire life right mm -hmm. yeah. I think that is a really important distinction as well like you mentioned that isolation and like making that person your entire world I think that yeah I think it's really scary honestly just like really yeah. and i and i've honestly like i haven't um i haven't really been codependent but i have had a codependent partner for me mm. and like so like feeling feeling that i'm responsible for and he, he i'm just using the pronoun him because it, it was a guy <laughs> but um feeling like i'm responsible for all of his emotions and feeling that if he's upset for something that's not even related to me but like he comes home upset, I have to calm him down or he's just gonna react on me. Like it's a lot of pressure, it's really scary. It's very unpredictable in the way that like, I didn't do anything wrong, so why are you mad at me? Like it's, it's so anxiety of course. And yeah, it's, it's I, I really stress like in, intimacy has so many forms and like it has so many forms just with your partner, but then it also has different forms outside of like in platonic relationships as well. And, and actually I do love the discussion of non-monogamous relationships. I'm not non-monogamous. The door isn't locked, but like I'm not right now. And I think that's really, it's important because again, like how can you get filled up by one person? You're a complex being with very different needs all inside of you. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think too, like um, as someone who identifies as queer, I'm, like I'm not a straight person. I don't think that, I think that that is a really great, um, non-monogamy, I mean, is a really great way for people to express their sexuality while like maintaining the relationships that they have. I know I see it on TikTok all the time of like these um, women who got married to a man and they realize they're bisexual and like they feel kind of like, trapped almost like they're happy but at the same time they're like but there's this piece that feels like missing almost yeah and I think like that makes me so sad I'm like you do you whatever you know like whatever you want to do what's going to make you happy if you just want to be monogamous that is totally fine but at the same time for myself I'm like fuck that shit like I need <laughs> I need to explore my sexuality <laughs> 
Oh my god, do you ever like watch a movie that there's like this chick and there's a love track like Bridget Jones Diary or something like I don't know but like watching a movie there's a chick and then there's two guys that like there's a love triangle and she has to like choose what guy she loves oh and my it's god. like why can't you just all be? Yes! <laughs> like, like, love all of you. <laughs> this movie can be resolved with polyamory. <laughs> yes. No, I have said that so many times watching shows. <laughs> I'm like, why are you choosing? Like, you're just hurting yourself for no fucking reason. <laughs> yeah, and lots of it's, it's funny when those shows too, because the guys like become friends at the end, and then it's like, yeah, man, it's okay, you get her. And I'm like, okay, like, you guys all like each other now, <laughs> right? Like, hello, triad, it's fine. Like, <laughs> so funny. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, so I have another question. Um, we were talking about the toxic relationship pattern. So with codependency, what do you think is like the quote unquote answer? I'm sure it's very nuanced and complex, but like, if you could sum it up a little bit, what would you say? Like, what is the answer to getting out of that relationship? Out of the relationship to kind of become, um, less codependent, I guess. Mm. Um, (laughs) it's, I don't know. I think it's like, okay, like it's what we said at the beginning, it's about being self-aware enough. So you have to figure that piece out first. You have to acknowledge that your relationship is not healthy. It's kind of like the anxiety thing that I like was told before, like you have to, like, you have to feel the feelings. So like, okay, I'm in a toxic relationship. I do not feel good in this relationship. Like feel those anxiety feelings, feel the resentment and then ask yourself why, like, why are you feeling that way? (laughs) So then trigger it down and hopefully you can self-reflect and like this is very tricky because you know codependency you're not an individual anymore so it's hard but just like really ask yourself like what is your relationship like and then navigate through like like those feelings because uh, like ask like so ask yourself what your relationship is ask yourself if you're happy ask yourself how happy you are (laughs) ask yourself when's the last time you've seen your friends and your family ask yourself how you're you know, like your hopes and dreams and your ambitions have changed since entering this relationship. And maybe, and they change, yes, relationships do compromise, but like, why? Like, why did it change? And how much have they changed? And at, like, are you working now? Like, like how much have you, has your life really changed since this relationship? And also, I think like even a big thing that I just want to like say to like everyone in any relationship is what would happen to you if this relationship did end? How would you deal with that? And like, how would you feel? Like, obviously like any breakup is really sad, but it should not be life shattering. Like you you should be able to say, I will survive this. Like a breakup, I will survive any breakup because you should be a strong person. (laughs) And if you're not, then there's a problem here and there's an imbalance in your relationship. And you know what? Like, I don't know everyone's relationships and maybe, like I have, I have friends that are codependent and like we, like they have ditched us a lot because of their codependency and, and like, it's not like dangerous to the way that like her, their partner was egotistical and like dangerous and abusive and all these things. She was just very, she's an anxious person and she attaches easily to people that she feels really comfortable with. She doesn't get comfortable very often. Right. So like just asking yourself those questions and moving through it. And I guess like while you're, and I, the, the, like breaking up like I said how would you feel if you guys broke up I would never tell someone to break up with someone like that's mm-hmm. your relationship like you are the, the expert on what's going on I'm just asking mm-hmm. them to have a little more awareness to really you know like own that that you know what's going on because sometimes you don't and that's okay <laughs> so just mm-hmm. like ask yourself how you're feeling 
but but like you don't need to break up but i think i would if someone's in a codependency relationship or codependence i would really like promote them just within the relationship it's time to start having a relationship with their self. So make some time without them, make some time with your friends, get used to spaces that your partner isn't in anymore because it's, it because you haven't been if you're in a codependent relationship. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's really tricky because it's that self-awareness piece, I think. But yeah, just asking those questions. And even if, even if like you, if someone listening right now like they have a friend that's codependent like be really gentle with them because you know they're they're really they're really vulnerable and they're probably going through a lot and they may even know all these things but you know they're they love that person so like they're in it so like allow them to control the setting and never tell someone to break up with someone they're already feeling controlled enough they don't need someone else to tell them that Mm um and just just ask them like try ask them to hang out like try just like push them to hang out ask them like you know, like I, I haven't seen you without your partner in a long time. Like, can me and you just hang out? Cause I haven't, I don't, I need that. I just, yeah, it's really tricky. There's not like a, so like a cut solution to that. Cause everyone's going to be different, but I guess just the self-awareness piece is really big and really like going in deep and asking how this relationship is serving you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you so much. That was a wonderful explanation. And okay. So I am curious as to what you would tell someone. So like, let's say their friend wants them to come out without their partner. I'm curious as to what you would tell them if their partner um, gets angry or like doesn't allow that. Cause I was definitely in a relationship like that. Oh, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) I think like again it's it's really hard to say that um um I think like for if okay if so so if someone is wanting to go hang out with their friends and is in a codependent relationship and that person reacts in anger I think the biggest advice for that person to tell their partner that they're going out is to be very short answered and not react at all like I think you just have to and and it's hard and I don't know like, and, and you have to make sure you're safe. I don't know if there's physical violence as well. So if that's the case, mm-hmm. then, you know, that's not okay. And this, this, this isn't the answer to that. Um, but I, yeah, just short answers. Like just say, I'm, I'm going out for lunch with a friend and then they'll probably bombard you. And then you just be like, or like, and like tell them the night before and then they'll probably get upset and like not think you're going. So like tell them, like give them time before though. Don't just surprise them. But then when it's happening, like commit and be like, I'm going out for lunch with friends or whatever you're doing. And then they'll probably get mad and then don't react. Just be like, I told you this already. And then they'll probably like accuse you of lying or something. And then don't react and be like, yes, I did. I'm going, I'll be back in a bit. Don't react. And then they'll probably get mad and they'll probably guilt you into feeling like um, they don't let, like you don't love them anymore. So don't Mm -hmm. react (laughs) and be like, no, like that's not true. I'm just going out with some friends. Like just keep it very short. And then they'll probably threaten to leave you. They're like, I'm not going to come be here when you get back then. Don't react. Because honestly, if they're that codependent, they're not, that's not going to happen. And maybe, maybe they won't be there when you get back because they want to threaten you because that's a control piece and that's not okay. And then also saying that though, if you do go with all of that, because control is huge for a codependent relationship, especially with an angry partner. Um, so I would just... I, I would really be aware of your like, safety plan for coming home because I just don't know what you'd be walking into coming home because he might they might still be very angry. I keep saying he, which is incorrect. It's it could be anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so they could yeah like he they could be very angry so like just safety plan maybe have a friend come with you back to the house just to drop you off and like gauge the mood and just have some numbers to call in case of any like severe violence or something like that that's just the only thing i want to say to you about the violence pieces um but yeah keep your answer short give them time to like process that you're going out like so it's not a surprise and and just keep it short like you're not your own person you don't need to ask for permission to go places and yeah there's and all the threats that they're gonna give you like don't react you just have to not react because <laughs> that's what they want yeah it what i'm gathering from this and i want to hear what you have to say about that as well is that it really comes down to a commitment to yourself and following through with that. And I was going to ask you another question because you were talking about becoming a stronger person. And I'm wondering like what your idea, like what that would look like. And in my head, I think that would be one of the first pieces is like committing to yourself and honoring yourself and forming that relationship. But I'm curious as to what you think, um, it means to become a stronger person just strong sense of self I guess yeah and, and like just be and like I love what you, like I love what you said like just committing to yourself and committing to you know like you you have to do things that your partner isn't maybe gonna like but it's actually better for the long run for both of you and just keeping in mind that it really everything starts with you so without that foundation it will crumble and like when I, when I mean everything starts with you, like everything does, like the happiness of your relationship, the sustainability of your relationship starts with you. Like the best thing you can do for your partner is take care of yourself and put yourself first. And mm-hmm. um, like pleasure starts with you and intimate settings, like everything starts with you. So just keeping that in mind that if you're not well and if you're not strong in yourself, then n- like nothing will be. So it's, it's good to be selfish in those ways. And maybe it does feel guilty or whatever, all these weird things because you're not used to putting yourself first, but just keeping in mind that it really does benefit everyone else around you if you put in that work to yourself. So it's good to be selfish. <laughs> yeah, I really like that you mentioned guilt as a, not like you're doing something wrong, but that it's just not something that's comfortable or that you're used to. And because I think like whenever guilt comes up, that is usually a response like, oh, we're doing something wrong. But really the only wrong thing that we're doing in this situation is that we're not used to taking care of ourselves and forming a relationship with ourselves. So yeah, of course. Yeah, of course guilt is going to come up. Makes total sense. You think you're doing something wrong, but you're not. And I think sitting with that and working through that um, is the way as opposed to avoiding it like we usually do with guilt. Um, but yeah, I, I just love that you brought that up. Well, I think it's a, yeah, it is and exactly what you said. Like you're going to feel guilty because, and even like in every situation, when someone puts themselves first, they kind of feel guilty because like it's, it's sometimes it's hard to do and yeah, you do what you know. So if you're used to just taking care of others all the time, it's really hard to put yourself first and you feel guilty and selfish and all these things. But in reality, it's, it's greater for the whole good. <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent. Totally. I know like with every bad relationship I was in, I played a part and a big part of that was just not honoring myself (laughs) and doing what I wanted to do and having boundaries. So it really does just all come back to you. And that's not a bad thing. I think we can almost spin it into a bad thing. Like, oh, we're doing something wrong when the reality is like, no, we just don't have any fucking boundaries. (laughs) 
Yeah. And I think, I think what can be scary for like making a change within yourself even is people get really scared that if they, they make a change, then their partner's going to break up with them. Like that's like the biggest threat I think mm. in these situations is the partner will leave them. But it needs to just be clear that like any like work that is done, your relationship will inevitably change and it's your partner's choice to change and grow with you or not. So it's really, it's really giving your partner uh, like a kind of a test to see if they're like, you know, they can be your partner in like in healthier situations and like grow with you and like, you know, inevitably like face conflict and change that happens in relationships. So it's really putting him a test or them. So I keep saying him, that's just my experience. <laughs> I'm really putting him like in a test to see if he's going to be a good partner in the long run. So don't be scared of breaking out because there is a possibility too that they'll change with you too. So they're, you're giving them space, right? So it's not a scary thing. It's just, yeah, it's just a selfish and really good thing. <laughs> yeah. And I like that you brought up that they have a choice because I think mm-hmm. with um, like anxious attachment or codependency, there's this idea that the partner doesn't have autonomy or like you're, you have to kind of placate them and like do all of these things so that they stay when the reality is like they're a whole ass person with choice and autonomy in the relationship. And I think we take that away from them, which I think is super disempowering to both people involved. And we're also kind of like taking that autonomy away from ourselves because I think if we think one thing, if we think something about someone else, I think we usually think that about ourselves as well. Like we don't have a choice. We have to, that's like where people pleasing comes from, right? Like we don't have a choice in what's happening. Like I have to be this way for this person so that they love me and they stay with me and blah, blah, blah. And like, no, there's always a choice. Like we were saying in the beginning, we always (laughs) have autonomy. Like, yes, I think that's so powerful. Yes. And yeah, yeah. (laughs) Full circle, really. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay. So I have a few more questions for you if you're okay with that. I'm totally doing okay. (laughs) Perfect. All right. So we kind of, um, when I brought up coming on the podcast, you talked about um, like wanting to discuss the body holding memory. And Um, so, yeah, (laughs) I love that. Awesome. (laughs) So I'm curious um, how, so like, what does that mean and how does the body do that? Okay. Oh my gosh. I I just, I think this is so fascinating. Okay, I, I want to give an example from my own experience. Is that okay? Of course, yeah. Okay, because I, 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 it's, you know, when like you know something and then you don't really know it until it happens and you're like, oh my God, like this is just like a big moment for me and I, I always hold it now with me. And um, okay, so the body holds memory in terms of like stored trauma, which is something I know to be true from my own experience. Um, sometimes when the past and trauma and big emotions and feelings are too big, the brain will let it go. It'll suppress it. Like it doesn't want to deal with it. It's too much. It's too much to deal with, whatever. It suppresses it. And then what the body does, because our body wants to take care of us. Like our body really does care for us, even when the, the brain attacks it. And so the body wants to hold you. So that trauma, those suppressed feelings will be stored within your body because they're still part of you. Just because you suppress them and say goodbye for now, it doesn't mean it's over with and they stay with you because they're big. <laughs> so it gets stored in the body. And then it's just about like 
figuring out when you're healing, figuring out that mind to body connection, because now they're, now they're off centered and now triggers come up and sometimes triggers can react in a physical way because your, your mind has blocked them off. So my example, um, I, when I broke up with my previous partner, he was very codependent on me. He was an alcoholic. He was also like 20 years older than me. Um, it was very, very bad. <laughs> and when we broke up, he was drunk. I broke up with him and he got physical with me. He put, he, and it was like, it was pretty, it was like, it wasn't severe, but it was bad. <laughs> and he, he put his hands on my neck and like threw me down. So that was just like my trauma and like trigger warning. Sorry if that was too much detail, uh, but I'm, I'm okay. It's okay. <laughs> so, um, I remember then to fast forward when I started dating again and my partner now actually was the first guy I slept with after that. Now we're still together. Um, but I remember that first and I, and I didn't even think about like, the, like look at even me talking about that physical encounter with my ex. Like I very downplay it. I very like, it's fine. Like, and it is fine, but I, I've, I always do that. I downplay that situation because, because mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of unbelievable that that happened to me. My brain doesn't want to deal with it because that's fucked. <laughs> so my, so it, it gets, gets stored. <laughs> so I remember when I first slept with my partner now, and I was like feeling nervous, like normal nerves for a first person, whatever. But I wasn't thinking about my ex or anything. Like I wasn't like scared in that way. And then I like it rough in bed a little bit, but he, he put his, so in like in bed, he put his hand on my neck, like just to like kiss me or whatever. And I flipped like it was it was so bizarre and so unexpected but my body just had this like familiarity with hands on my throat and wanted to protect me because like that's not safe that's not cool and my body just like flipped and I like had such, I had like a little anxiety attack and we had to like really slow down for a second and so so yeah like that so that's the moment I was like oh my god like my like this I have shit to deal with first of all <laughs> and, <laughs> and second of all like holy like I can't like I, I just I felt this such like this weird connection with my body like so grateful and gratitude that like my body wants to take care of me in that way like it felt it felt that it was a dangerous situation from experience and it reacted in order to get out of it because the mind and the brain even though I was safe my brain wasn't saying it was safe because there's such a disconnect in that moment for me with that because I suppressed so much shit so <laughs> wow that is amazing that your body did that and um yeah I'm happy for you that you worked through that stuff and that you like had that realization like I'm not happy that it happened but like <laughs> <laughs> me too it was it's very interesting like I thought it was I thought it was honestly like fascinating like I I really like that kind of stuff so to actually have it like demonstrated on my own body it felt it, and it's it's for me it was kind of interesting because I do have that background of knowledge so I like, I kind of figured out what it was like right away. And I was, so it was like, it was, it was just like so validating. And I guess also validating for my trauma because I do downplay it a lot. So I'm like, okay, this is actually like a real thing. And now I have to look at it. <laughs> so yeah, it was really, it was really special. And I, I actually, sometimes I, I think I overshare a lot. So I hope I didn't, that wasn't too much information for violence or whatever, but it really, it really was a special moment for me, just that realization, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, this is an open space, we get real and raw here, nothing is, you can share whatever you want, it's, it's cool. <laughs> um, I have a couple of things that I can relate to that, though. Um, mm -hmm. I was assaulted, and having certain kinds of sex would be very triggering, mm -hmm. and I didn't really 
understand it. And I, like, I knew what was happening. I knew I was being reminded of that, but it wasn't something that I was willing to look at at the time. And there were many times when I would just like push through it and I wouldn't even like have that. (laughs) Okay. We need to stop and like have a conversation or like, let me process it. it. And then I would just like push through and process it on my own after kind of like, it was just more traumatizing, honestly. (laughs) And I laugh about it kind of like you were saying, like, (laughs) it's not funny. (laughs) Um, yeah it's coping yeah yeah coping (laughs) um now I'm in a much different space where like I do stop and I'm like hey this is I I need to take a minute and not do this because I'm getting really upset right now um Mm -hmm. but another thing which was really interesting have you ever heard of holotropic breath work no it's a form of breath work. I think I talked about the, I think I talked about this on another podcast episode, but it's a form of breath work where um the name is I don't remember exactly what it means, but it's to be out of your body. So it's a form of breath work that's supposed to produce a lot of DMT to get you mm-hmm. out of your body and have this really um emotion like big emotional release it's supposed to be really great for trauma healing and so I did a couple of sessions when I was in Ecuador and Mm. things came up that I had no idea were there and your body reacts and so like your body you will literally contort and like stay stuck there until you kind of like come out of it and it was fucking wild like and you can feel it like you can feel your body you're not completely out of your body um so I could feel my body like twisting up and contorting and I was like crying and like I had these things come up that one of them so I have a lot of medical trauma and it's something like I know it's a problem I know it's a problem um but it's not something (laughs) that I thought was that big of a deal but in one of my sessions that what that's what was coming up and specifically getting Mm -hmm. blood drawn and like my arms just like were like glued to my body like the Mm -hmm. my body just had this huge response and it was so wild and amazing and really kind of as you were describing, like solidified that there's like a connection here to like your yeah. brain and your body. So I just wanted to share that kind of like to, um, cool. yeah, <laughs> it's wild what your body does. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that's like, I, I do it all the time. I try to work on it, but like our brain can just be so hard on our body. Like we, like whatever the way it looks like, the body standards, all those things that you, you talk about lots. And like, um, in reality, like, it just does so much work for us and not even just work in like, like mechanics, what's the word, like mechanics. Like it's not like just moving you and stuff. It's really, it has an energy of its own and it really wants to help you if you want to listen, you know? (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I, I think like diet culture especially is almost like a gateway into disconnecting Mm -hmm. from our bodies. So I'm glad you kind of brought that up because like, I do feel like dieting um, is one of like the most universal forms of disconnect that so many of us do um and yeah it's like like I said the gateway to it we disconnect from our bodies when it comes to hunger so it's easier to just not easier but like I feel like it's just almost we normalize it so much so when something big does happen it's maybe easier for us to disconnect from that even more Mm -hmm. because of it Yeah. yeah 
Oh my gosh. I think it's just, I think there's a, I've never actually read it, but every, every time I bring this up, like with a, a client or something, they always, most of them say that book, The Body Keeps Score. I've never read it, but uh-huh. it sounds pretty like bang on to what we're talking about. Like I, I, what people tell me about it. So there's that too. I just think it's when we learn to listen <laughs> and like to our bodies, there's, there's a lot to be to be heard and to be learned and like yeah yeah I just think it's it's really beautiful (laughs) yeah it is really beautiful I think I I like that you brought that up because I think that would be a really helpful perspective for us if we um, saw the way that our bodies communicate with us as being something that's beautiful Mm -hmm. whether it's a positive kind of signal or like positive feeling in our body or a negative one I think it is really beautiful that our bodies tell us what it needs and what's going on whether it's like hunger or emotions or like if something is like not right you know we get like the spidey sense and we're like this person isn't good (laughs) it's almost like I think like for my body I, I like to think of it as like my body is like my inner child and when you think of like children like acting out and like trying to talk to you like they can't communicate in the words in the words because they don't have mm. them so you have to think of it like be like be compassionate with your body like it's acting out yes but like what is it trying to what is it actually saying like it's trying to get your attention so what what's going on there <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. I love that connection between your body being your inner child because that is so true. Like our emotions are in our bodies. So that makes total sense that our bodies are inner child. I fucking love that. For all like the visual people, that's really good exercise. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. So I'm curious as to what ways you think or that you've experienced that these, um, like this trauma can be released through your body or any, yeah. any type of way, I guess. Honestly, it's going to look different on everybody. Like I keep saying, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I'm just, again, it's funny because it, it is anxious behavior in a way, but I, this is like another anxiety exercise that I think I've shared on my a quick story, but my, I, I took off um, time off work after my breakup because I was pretty fucked up. And I had, it was, that was like my worst anxiety year after that. Like, it was just so anxious. And so I took medical leave for anxiety. I have a really phenomenal family doctor. He just kind of does what I say. So I was really, he was really, <laughs> really supportive in that way. Um, so anyways, I remember talking with my family doctor and he, he was just like, because we, I, I was three months off but every week me and him would connect because like his goal was to get me back to work. Right. So he wanted to make sure my progress and stuff. And he was asking me like what I was doing at home. And I was like, well, nothing. <laughs> and he's, like, he's like, how is your, how's your anxiety feeling? I'm like really bad. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, Oh, and he's like, well, you know, like young people, like, and he says young, like 40 and younger young people have a lot of energy. So if you don't get up and like move your body, at least like, 15 minutes like get a little winded like at least 15 minutes to get winded once a day your all that energy has nowhere to go except into your anxiety so like you need to you need to move in order to like move energy around otherwise it doesn't have anywhere to go so for me during that time like when I had that violent breakup and I had so much anxiety and stuff I I moved my body a lot. Like I went for a lot of walks and I did, a, I started doing a lot of yoga just to like stretch my body and like build some strength. And I think, and like, obviously I, I talked a lot. I, I'm a talker. So I talked out loud to my support team and I, you know, I really reached out. Like I really advocated that I needed help and people helped me and all these things. Um, 
from on the emotional level. But I think like the biggest thing, like a simple answer, this can mean so many things, but like when your emotional mental health is bad, take care of your physical because it's just taking care of the things that you can control. You can control what you want to do to your body right now. So just focus on your physical body and then everything else will come, it will will start coming up. So that's what I did. (laughs) That's perfect. I think um, in my own experience with kind of connecting back with my body, movement has been a big part of taking care of my mental health. So I really appreciate you saying that and um, making that a point that like, I, I like that your doctor described it that way of like, we have a lot of energy and we, if we don't do something with it, it'll go into other areas or like perhaps maybe just like predominant emotions that we're feeling at that time, whether it's anxiety or even happiness. I don't know. Yeah. And I also really appreciate you saying that, um, you were advocating for yourself and like saying that you needed help. Cause I think that is something that people struggle with, um, in terms of like realizing that they are advocating for themselves when they ask for help. Like, it's not like this bad thing. It's not, it it means absolutely nothing bad about you. You're literally just advocating for yourself. I do want to say too, it's quick, like um, for people with mental health and like they're trying to get help for mental health, like trying to get a counselor, trying to get therapy, like those type of things. Sometimes it can really feel like a game of tag, like just get referred and referred and referred. Or maybe you get a counselor and it's not the right fit because of whatever reason. And then you have to move on to get referred and referred and referred. That part of that is part of the healing. So you like, you need to put, it sucks. I'm not saying it's great, but it is part of that healing because it's teaching you that you matter and it's, it's teaching self-worth and you just have to keep plugging because it's learning to advocate for yourself and which again is part of the healing. So it actually is a good lesson in itself, even though the system kind of sucks that way. It, it is a good lesson. If you think of it like that, it's okay. Like I'm teaching myself that I'm worth it and that this is worth the fight to get the help. So I think that's important. Yeah, no, totally. I so this is kind of like a really good crossover to something I've been talking about with clients recently mm-hmm. and that I, I heard on a podcast, which is that um with dating, you just like keep going. Like if you knew mm-hmm. that you had to see like two hundred people in order to find the person that you connect with, you would just keep doing that. That's so funny. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing with a therapist. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's such a fun way to look at that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing that too with dating. I've also done it with like friends and stuff. Cause like it can be hard to find the person, whether, whether it's a friend, a partner or a therapist or like who the fuck ever, it can be hard to find the person that you connect with and you just got to keep going. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Partner, friends, therapist. It's all a vulnerable space. Exactly. Yeah. You're sharing emotions. Yeah. You need the yeah. right person. It just takes some time sometimes. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's just it's a fun analogy. <laughs> I'm gonna use it. That's really cool. <laughs> um, so why why do you think our bodies hold on to trauma and memories? Um, just kind of what I said before. Like, it's because these things can't, like, even if you suppress them and, like, or even if you think you're, like, done, like, you, you've done the work, you've done the healing and you think it's over, 
sometimes it's not and like things like get held on and I think it's just the again it's the body trying to take care of you that you know there, there it's reminders like there's stuff to be recognized still because it's gonna come up no matter what like it's inevitable it's still in you and and that's why it just holds on just to take care of you and and it is protection like like even with you and the arm and the reaction of like oh my gosh don't draw me blood or like me with the neck like oh my gosh like don't choke me out like <laughs> like it's just it's a it's a familiarity in, in the body and 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 saying that like sometimes <clears throat> it's it's just like it's not for me like with with the, the hands on the neck it wasn't even so much that like I wasn't like completely over it. Like I, like I was, I did do a lot of work and that's what I mentioned about like you did the work and like, so why is this coming up? But I still had a lot of disconnect with my body. Like, so it was just like, it's that inner. So I dealt with my trauma pieces and my reactions with those with my brain, but I didn't deal with the inner work of like how I felt in my skin. So it, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just constant reminders of the healing and I think it's just triggers like triggers are so important on the path of healing and I think when you're you're doing the work the triggers will be way more adamant than ever because it's kind of like the universe knows that you're ready to handle it so it wants to give it to you to keep you growing and keep you pushing keep you working so I don't know if that answers that but <laughs> yeah totally I I have two things. One is that like when I first started um, healing, I started doing shadow work and inner child work. I ha it was constant like constant trauma coming up. Like it felt like it was forever. It just would not fucking stop. <laughs> so yeah, I think my body was definitely ready. Um, I think I was ready and I needed it. And now it's pretty rare, honestly, that I have like a big trauma response or anything like that. But the other thing that I wanted to kind of, I don't know, just like throw out there and maybe pick your brain about, um, do you think that if we were connected with our bodies, that our bodies would even hold the trauma the way that they do? Because like when you think about, I start thinking about um, animals and how they'll process trauma and they'll just shake and then they're like over it. And I feel like they're just like really connected with themselves, right? And so I wonder if like, the disconnect that we have with our bodies is what creates that um, environment for our body to hold on to it. What do you think? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I honest, like, yeah, like, honestly, like, um, I say like, like, yeah, <laughs> I really like, I, I, I think so because I think that automatic response of like when something gets touched in a similar way that was that used to be abusive or something like that, like in, in that example, and your body is like, oh, that's familiar, you're unsafe, I'm gonna react and protect you. If your brain, your brain knows you're safe. So if that connection was there and your brain was telling, like you, your brain was sending the signals that like, this is safe, you were calm, you were happy, you were content, yeah, your body probably wouldn't react. So yeah, yeah I think that's very interesting, so. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just what came up when you were talking about it. I was like, oh, yeah. that makes so much sense, like, that we would hold on to it if we're disconnected to our bodies. Because, like, you, I, I love what you said. This was, like, quite a bit earlier, but you mentioned, like, our bodies are trying to hold us and they're trying to mm -hmm. protect us. And I think, like, if our bodies didn't feel the need to protect us, like, if we were just yeah. connected to it, then it wouldn't have the need to hold on to trauma and to these, like, really um, painful memories, right? Totally. 
And you know, it's funny, like what you said to like the spidey sense, I think mm -hmm. even if your mind and brain was connected and like, not, mm -hmm. and then we're not even talking about trauma at this point, but let's say you are put in an unsafe situation, but you'd actually, but you're not aware logically that it is unsafe. I think your body still would do it like a tingle that it does normally totally. on edge, but because it's connected, I think your brain would really listen to that tingle and your intuition and be like, oh, are we unsafe? And then you'd have a, like a dialect with your body and mind. You'd be like, maybe we're not. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Totally. I mean, how many people, I know for myself too, like how many people have ignored that little spidey sense? Oh like strong intuition. It's honestly like, I'm not trying to be gender, but like, especially as women, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like mm -hmm. we, have a, we have a very strong sense of intuition and a lot of the time it gets, you know, it gets gaslighted a lot of the time, but a lot of time it yeah. just solves. Yeah. So it's, it's worth <laughs> recognizing. <laughs> yeah, completely. I mean, I would have like saved myself from so much shit if I would have just listened <laughs> to my spidey sense. Right. Just start listening. <laughs> I guess I, I like those moments where it got validated that I should have listened. Now I know that I should have listened. Like now it was validated and like, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now I know my intuition's right. I just needed that moment to prove it by doing the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah. It's still, so like it doesn't really happen with romantic partners anymore, but like it'll happen with friends. Cause like I'll have, I have a big friend group and like there'll be a friend, a mutual friend that like, I'm not really feel like, I don't know. I just don't really like that person but all of my other friends do and I'm like what is wrong with like I'll gaslight myself and I'm like what's wrong with me like why don't I like this person and then uh, you know later on it comes out like they're not that great of a person <laughs> and I'm like oh that's why <laughs> there you go oh my gosh it's so funny it's okay yeah. <laughs> I know I know it's silly but that's also another like learned kind of behavior okay. like again building that awareness around that because I think a lot of people with codependency definitely gaslight themselves and yeah. I know I did um and I still do so <laughs> we're not perfect here <laughs> learned behavior no hard patterns <laughs> yeah totally all right um do you have any like final messages that you would like to share with the audience I guess just like what we talked about, I just, I have these corny little phrases. So really feeling is healing, like really feel your emotions, Do, move, move things around, like move your body, especially for anxious people, especially for people holding trauma, like move your body to move shit around. Otherwise it's just going to stay with you on the surface. Um, a couple means two or whatever number you're in, like you are an individual in that number. And yeah. And like you, and just, you always ask questions, always ask questions about relationships and you know what even if you're in a healthy relationship always check in have relationship check-ins have relationship check-ins even when you're in a good state like just like check in with your partner and be like hey are you happy are we good boom like just relationship check-ins always and check in with yourself and yeah <laughs> those are my corny little things <laughs> I love that I love all of them so much that's so great <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much um, for being here. This was an amazing conversation. I love talking with you. It was great. I love talking with you. <laughs> so nice to meet you, like officially. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> you too, yeah. Um, so how can our audience find you? Yeah, so I have my Instagram, cross out toxicity. 
And then I also have a Facebook page, Cross Out Toxicity, which is more from my hotline if you want to book a call with me. And yeah, that's pretty much it. My name's Katie and Cross Out Toxicity is my platform, just Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> Perfect. And all of that will be linked in the show notes. So thank you again. <laughs> it was lovely chatting with you. Yay. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> all right. Bye. If you are ready to finally like yourself and free yourself from the expectations of others, I want to invite you to come work with me. I'll teach you exactly how to step into your power so that you can feel at home in your body and who you are as a person. Just head to the link in the show notes to start. I'll see you there.